Well, good evening. So good to see you this evening. So thankful that you are here. And I know that we have some other people that are still walking in. And so just thank you. Thank you for being a part of this really special service. This, uh, we started having a Good Friday service probably about seven, eight, nine years ago. And this is really, for me personally, this has become a feature of the Easter weekend. Uh, because we really, during this service, we want to very specifically focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Now, I'll just say that the, the, the tone of tonight's service is intended to be reflective. It is intended to be worshipful. It is intended to be a little somber. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Easter is about celebration, and you are exactly right. And that's what we'll do on Sunday. But tonight, we really just want to kind of sit and soak in just the reality and the, the specific process that Jesus went through as he gave his life for us on the cross. If you are, uh, I know that we have some people that are watching online, so let me just greet you. And we're so glad that you're here and that you're able to be a part of this service. As a part of this service, we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper. And so if you're watching from home, if you want to grab a cracker and something to drink so that you can participate with us, we would love for you to do that. For those of you in the room, you'll be served, and, uh, and we'll just have that time together later in our service. I am so grateful that we have the privilege of being able to gather, to worship, to give God glory, and to reflect on what Jesus did for us when he gave his life on the cross. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And I pray that as we worship together tonight, that we will be inspired and encouraged and then as we come back together on Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection, that'll be a wonderful day. And this will be a time of preparation for what's to come. I want to have a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll have a time of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for this place and these people. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather. And God, I just pray that as we sing and as we listen, as we celebrate, as we prepare as we pray, as we focus, God, as we worship tonight, in every way, God, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we are given a gift of forgiveness because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ, your only begotten son, gave for us on the cross. Help us, Father this evening. Help us during this time that we have together to focus and to reflect and to realize all that Jesus did for us in giving his life on the cross. Thank you for eternal life and thank you for the forgiveness that is purchased by Jesus' sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship together and thank God for all that he's done.
That grace that pardons all of our sin came from the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And as we come to this moment and as we share this meal, it is a remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. In just a moment, we're going to pass out these these elements that um, consist of really just two items. It's the bread that represents the body of Christ. It's the cup that represents the blood of Christ. Anytime we share this meal, it's, it's important. It's impactful. It's memorable. But especially on today. Considering the fact that Jesus would have gathered with his disciples and shared a Passover meal and he would have passed the the bread to them and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he said, this is my body. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This is my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Uh, We'll talk in just a moment, but that, that was a complete change in the way that they had ever experienced that meal before. And what he was saying was this memory of Passover is now going to be a memory of the forgiveness that I offer to you on the cross. And so this evening, as we come and take this meal, this, these elements, the, the bread and the cup, as they're passed out to you, I, I just want to encourage you for, for the few moments that we have as we're waiting for everybody to be served Would you just hold those two items in your hand? And would you simply bow your head? And if you could just say, Jesus, thank you. I mean, that, those two words are so small in comparison to the gift that was given. But that's all he invites us to do is to just simply respond with gratitude. Because he gave his life freely. And he gives to us freely. And so as this is passed out, take take a moment just to say thank you. One of the ways that we can say thank you is to say, Lord, there are some things in my life that I'm not proud of. And I know you're not proud of and you're not happy with them. So I just want to simply lay those out before you. I confess those before you. I ask for your forgiveness. It's important that as we come to this table, that we come in a clean and righteous way with our sins confessed 
And because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, when we confess them, they are forgiven and they are cleansed completely. Isn't that awesome? To know that we can receive forgiveness just by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. A couple of quick things I just want you to know before we uh, pass these elements out and share communion together. First of all, some people come and say, well, wait a minute, do I have to be a member of this church to take communion here? No, you do not have to be a member of Stetson Baptist Church. All we ask is that you be a believer in Jesus. If you've not given your life to Jesus, let this be an encouragement to do just that, to give your life to Christ. Because it is the meaning of the sacrifice that he made for us that gives this bread and cup its true meaning. It's that representation of what he has done for us in our life and in our heart. So all we ask is that you have given your life to Jesus. And then here's a little housekeeping thing. In each one of these little holes, there are two cups. And the juice is in the top cup and the bread is in the bottom cup. So make sure you grab both of them or else you're going to be looking around at one point or another, okay? So just make sure you grab both of those so that you can have both the bread that represents the body of Christ, the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And then I'll come back and we'll share that meal together. If our servers will go ahead and come forward, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we'll share this meal. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for the privilege that we have in this moment to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. God, as we take these elements of this meal, let it be a reminder to us of what you have done, of what you have given, and all that you have done for us so that we might receive the grace that pardons all of our sins. Father, let us come to you in gratitude and let us rejoice because of who you are and all that you have done in our lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
When Jesus gathered in the upper room with his disciples, it was, it was probably a, a, a very common experience. He was gathering for the purpose of sharing uh, a Passover meal with his disciples. That, this would have been something that happened every year for Jesus. He would have gathered with his family. They would have shared a Passover meal, remembering the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. On the, on the night that that tenth plague came into Egypt, there was blood that was spread or painted on the door facing and lintel of every Israelite home. And by that, the death that was bound for the firstborn would pass over that home. That's why they call it Passover. It's a really creative name, isn't it? On that night, Jesus would share this meal, and it was, it was very commemorative. It was very specific in its instruction. And many times when a family would gather and share this meal, they would say, remember our exodus. Remember the Passover. Remember the, the goodness of God. Remember our deliverance. On this night, though, Jesus passed out the elements of this meal, and he said what? Remember me. You can imagine his disciples looking at that, and, you know, they've been through this a number of times, and they probably thought, wait a minute, something just changed. And it did. 
Because in that moment, Jesus was establishing that the Passover would no longer be about what happened when Egypt was kept, was, was holding Israel captive. Now the Passover would represent the sacrifice that the Lamb of God would make. It was a massive switch. It was a huge change. Because tonight, we don't look back to the 10th plague and the Passover lamb. We look to the lamb of God. And we recognize what he has done for us in giving his life and shedding his blood for our sins. The bread represents the body of Christ. It is the body that was broken and beaten and bruised. It was the body that was hung on the cross. It was the body that was buried and that rose again. And so when we take the body, it's a representation of the life that Jesus gives to us. By his resurrection from the dead, we celebrate life. And we receive eternal life. And so as we take the bread, let us remember and thank God for the life that he has given to us and the eternity that he has purchased for us. Jesus took the bread, broke it, gave thanks for it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus would take the cup and he would bless it and he would pass it to his disciples. And he would say, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Those are important words because the old covenant was a covenant of if you sin, you must sacrifice. If you sin, you must sacrifice. It was the sacrifice that would pay the price for the sin. And that covenant is not being wiped out it's just being renewed Jesus in giving his life on the cross is paying the ultimate sacrifice if you sin he has already sacrificed and the blood that he shed on the cross is the payment for our sins when he gave it to his disciples he said this is my blood the blood of the new covenant this is a new thing As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for the privilege of celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus tonight. God, thank you for giving us forgiveness and grace. We do not deserve it, but we're grateful. So Father, I just pray that you will continue to speak to us even in these moments that we have together, that your word and your purpose will be accomplished as we continue to reflect on all that Jesus did for us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 that says these words. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. And can I tell you? It is. You see, why would a Savior die? That's foolish. Why would a Messiah give his life? That's foolish. Why would God made flesh willingly lay down his life for a bunch of people that have shouted crucify him? That's foolish. Why would he do it this way? You see, just... 24 hours earlier, Jesus had been sharing that Last Supper with his disciples, remembering and commemorating what we just experienced. After the supper, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and 11 disciples. There would be one that would be curiously absent. His name was Judas. He was the betrayer. 11 disciples would gather with him, and Jesus would ask them to watch and pray as he was going to go just a stone's throw away. A stone's throw means that he was in within uh, eyesight, but not within ear uh, sight. He could not hear. Uh, they could not hear what he was saying, but he was close enough that they could see him. He was just a small distance away. He said, I'm going to go over there and pray. Will you pray with me? As he comes back to his disciples, he finds them asleep. They are not praying. They are asleep. Jesus is literally grieving in this moment. He is physically sweating drops of blood. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a medical diagnosis that called hemato, I mean, hematohydrosis. It's a, it's, a, it's a condition where under extreme stress, the capillaries in one's face and skin literally begin to burst and with, without meaning to, sweat drops that contain blood begin to emerge. Jesus is under a great deal of stress <laughs> and his disciples are sleeping. They are asleep. In this moment as he prays, he, he looks up into the heavens and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Uh, translation, I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard. This is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way that you can accomplish the goal, accomplish the mission, do it that way. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Scholars have agreed that probably in this moment it was as if Jesus was taking the cup of God's wrath and he was drinking it down to its last drop. He was taking on the punishment of God that belonged to me and to you. He was willingly taking on the sin of the world. 
He was taking on the weight of everything that we have ever done wrong. Friends, this is foolish. It is foolish. Why is the Son of God sweating drops of blood while his followers are asleep? Why is, the, why is he willingly drinking the cup of God's wrath when he did nothing wrong? The message of the cross is foolish. It doesn't end there because you see, from a distance, we begin to see a, a, a group of soldiers and other uh, people that are coming into the garden. Jesus will be arrested. Judas is with them. Judas comes to Jesus and, and begins to, uh, to, to greet him. And, and Jesus says, what you are here to do, just do it quickly. Uh, translation, let's get this started. Judas betrays his master with a kiss. It's a sign of brotherly affection. Jesus is bound. His hands are tied. And he begins to be led away. Peter, one of his disciples, because Peter is who Peter is, Peter draws a sword and slices at the high priest servant, we learn later that his name is Malchus. He, the Bible says that he sliced his ear off. Can I just tell you, Peter wasn't aiming for his ear. Peter was trying to start a riot. And he was trying to get Jesus out of there. Jesus asks permission. And they unbind him. And he reaches down and he picks up the ear of the high priest's servant and he literally places it back on the man's head, completely healed. I don't know about you, but if I were there, I don't know that I would have been the one to want to come back and say, hey, can I tie your hands again? I mean, if you can do that, you can surely break these ropes. But they did. And they led him away. And the disciples scatter and they hide. This is foolish. Why is Jesus arrested? He did nothing wrong. Why is the Son of Man being accused of something when he has only loved everyone he's ever come into contact with? As he is led away, he has led to a number of trials. Jesus is tried illegally six times between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. There are three Jewish trials. There are three Roman trials. In the final trial before Pilate, the Roman governor of the region, he says, I find no fault. He has done nothing wrong. Why is he here? Why are you accusing him? What do you want me to do with this man? But the people would not be satisfied. Pilate literally washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he places Jesus before the people saying, I will free him or, and they look for the most dastardly criminal they can find in the prison. They bring out a man by the name of Barabbas, who we know was a murderer and a thief. 
And he probably had done a number of other things wrong. Probably even robbed from some of the people or maybe taken family members' lives of the crowd that were gathered. He brings these two men out. Jesus, who has done nothing wrong and has healed people and taught wonderful lessons and made lame people walk and blind people see and dead people live and deaf people hear. Jesus, who has done wonderful things, or do you want Barabbas? And someone cries out, give us Barabbas. You can imagine Pilate's confusion shock, and maybe even disgust at the people. So what would you have me do with Jesus? Somebody from the back of the crowd, maybe under, the bre- under their breath, says, crucify him. Another picks it up, Cru- cru- crucify him. What do you want us to do with, what do you, what do we want you to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Now, you need to understand that crucifixion was not something that was foreign to the people that were standing in that crowd. They had seen it many times. It was the most painful, excruciating death that someone could ever die. So Pilate washes his hands. And turns Jesus over to be crucified. Crucifixion did not start with the cross. Crucifixion started with the scourging. The beating that Jesus took on that day is beyond anything that any human should ever have to endure. The Romans were very good at what they did. They would strip Jesus from the shoulders to the waist. And they would take this whip, this cat of nine tails, and they would begin to beat Jesus with it. Now this is ridiculous, but Jesus, the Son of God, is beaten with this, this instrument of torture that it's bound together pieces of leather, and on the ends of the pieces of leather are uh, different ball bearing type of type of instruments, metal pieces. Uh, there would be pieces of bone and metal, and possibly even hooks, like a, what we would see as like a, a really significant fishing hook or something like that. And so, what Jesus, what the Roman would do that was responsible for the beating is when we think of a whip, we think of a whip. That is not what type of instrument this was. This was a this was a flesh tearing piece of material. This, this was an instrument that was made to literally take the flesh off of someone. I know this is painful to hear, but it's true. Because Jesus would feel the, the wrapping of this, uh, of this whip, and it would literally wrap around his body. And then in a downward motion, that that Roman would take that whip and it would take with, take with it, it would take literally pieces of Jesus' back and sides. After just a few strokes, he would be bleeding profusely. But it would not stop. Before the Roman was done, 
it's very possible that some of Jesus' internal organs would be showing. It is a gruesome sight. It is painful. It is heart-wrenching. It's hard to even hear about. But it's true. And it's foolish. Why is the Son of God being beaten like an animal? Why is Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, being punished in this way? They would take Jesus and they would place a crown of thorns upon his head. Now, when I was a kid, I remember seeing a crown of thorns and I thought, boy, that looks really bad. Because I, I lived in a place that the most, the most I'd ever known of thorns was a rose bush. When I moved to Florida, I learned about a different set of thorns. I learned about the thorns that grow. I, I didn't know this the first time I tried to trim my palm trees out in my yard. I learned very quickly, you should wear long sleeves and very heavy gloves. I didn't know that they had thorns. But remember, just a few days ago, Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. Do you remember what they laid down in front of him? They laid down in front of him palm branches. Is it possible I think it's very possible. Is it possible that they wove the crown of thorns out of those palm branches? Can you imagine the pain of a crown of thorns made out of those branches? They would not just simply take that crown and place it gently on his head. No, they would place it on his head with very firm pressure. It was meant to impale. It was meant to injure. It was meant to harm. Then they would take a purple robe and they would put it over his back because, hey, he's the king of the Jews. Let's make fun of him. Let's jeer at him. Let's mock him. And so here's your crown, O king. Here's your purple robe, O king. And then they would begin to beat him, and they would mock him, and they would make fun of him, and they would laugh at him, and they would strike him and say, if you're such the son of God, tell us who struck you. And over time, they would allow that to go on for a while, and then they didn't want him to get too proud of himself and so they would take that robe and they would rip it from his back you can imagine that after just a few moments the blood would begin to dry to that material and when they ripped it off it would just be reopening the wound again it's hard to hear isn't it it's painful it's gruesome and it's foolish why would the Son of God be scourged? Why would, the, why would it be mocked? Why would it be beaten? Why would he be found guilty? Why would he be falsely accused? At this point, Jesus 
is forced to carry the cross all the way to Calvary. It's about 110 pounds of lumber. You can imagine with the blood that has been lost and the pain that has been endured, he can barely put one foot in front of the other. And yet, he continues on. He stumbles, and they pick him up and say, let's keep going. He stumbles again, and they, they pull somebody out of the crowd and say, he's obviously not going to make it, so will you carry the cross the rest of the way? Friends, this, this is foolish. Why would the Son of God be carrying an instrument of execution? Why would he be forced to walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow? And yet, he comes to the place of Calvary, Golgotha, the skull. And he is fastened to the instrument of his execution by nails through both wrists. It's between the radial and the ulna. We talk about him being pierced through the hands, but the Romans wouldn't pierce him through the hands because there's nothing to hold the nail. And so they would literally pierce him through the wrist. That way the, the bones would hold him and, and affix him to the cross. If you think about it, if you literally put your thing, finger there and put a little pressure, you'll feel that that's actually a pressure point. It's a, it's a place of pain. There's a lot of nerve endings that collect in that, in that very location. And Jesus would endure Nails being placed through his hands where he would be stretched out on that cross and he would be attached. They would then take Jesus' feet and they would cross one over the other and they would place another nail through his feet. Again, if you were to spend a little time, you would find that that's another collection of nerve endings and it's a place of great pain. They would make sure that there was a little give in the arms. You see, the Romans were very good at what they did because they wanted Jesus to be able to hang. They didn't want him stretched tight. They wanted him to hang because they wanted his body weight to literally begin to crush upon itself. As Jesus hung on the cross, the only way that he could get a breath into his lungs is he would have to painfully push up on the nail that was through his feet and pull up on the nails that were through his hands so that he could and then drop again you can imagine the excruciating pain as each time he would drop on those nails that were through his hands most of the crosses that we see in imagery or movies or even in our life, we, we always see kind of this idea of a cross being this big tall thing where the people are gathered around, but most scholars agree that that's just an artistic depiction. The cross actually was probably very, very short. The reason being they wanted to be sure that the person that was being crucified was eye level with the people who had gathered to watch. The people needed to see the pain of this execution. Jesus would pull himself up and then he would fall again. And he would stay as long as he could and then he would pull himself up and fall again. It's interesting that 
one of those times when he pulled himself up with that oxygen that was in his lungs, he was heard saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, I could have thought it better than saying it. Why did he have to say that out loud? Because he wanted the people there to know that he loved them, even though they were crucifying him. At a point, his body has given completely out. And he pulls himself up one final time. And he falls down. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he cries out in a loud voice, It is finished. And he dies. This is foolish. Why would Jesus be treated like this? Why would he hang on a cross? Why would he forgive them? Why would he allow his life to be taken? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But, but, we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. For us, the cross is not foolish. It is our hope. It is our salvation. The cross is our forgiveness. For us who have given our lives to Jesus, it is our only hope. It is our only chance. It is not foolish. It is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But to us, it is the power of God. I'm reminded of the centurion that was guarding Jesus that day. And after Jesus had died, the centurion looked up and said, Surely this was the Son of God. Jesus has given his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross. He is taken down from the cross and he is hastily prepared for burial and he is placed in a borrowed tomb. The disciples have scattered. His followers have all gone away. You see, nobody comes back from the dead. Well, not without Jesus raising them. Uh, nobody survives crucifixion. They had seen this story quite a few times. The disciples go back to their jobs because, well, I guess it was a lost cause. The followers mourn his death. 
It must have felt like a nightmare. Why can't I wake up and things be different? Why can't things change? Jesus is in the tomb. He has made the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made. The Son of God is dead. And all hope is lost. It's Friday. Jesus has given his life for us. It's Friday. But make no mistake. Because while it's Friday, Sunday, Sunday is on the way. Grace, grace. It is a grace that is greater than all our sin. And today we have the privilege of being able to celebrate how Jesus purchased our grace. The gift that he gives us. I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you so much for being a part of this time of worship that we've had. I know that this is a hard service. But friend, the reason we want to celebrate and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross so that it will make our celebration of his resurrection all the more. So I pray that you will leave this place and over the course of this next day and a half, that you will just continue to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And that when we come back together on Sunday, that we will celebrate his life. I'm so glad that you were here tonight. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. We hope to see you on Sunday.